All right, guys, before we start, I just want to mention that uh, today is the yard site of Joey Gedalia's grandfather. Okay, he was a fellow named by Dr. Menachem Gordon. Uh, he taught in several uh, institutions in Israel, but he also liked to write articles. In fact, he was a passionate believer in modern orthodoxy. This book is even called Modern Orthodox Judaism. David Edwards, this is for you. Okay. And um, just among the th things discussed, I'm sorry? For those who like, oh yeah, Tzviki's also into modern things? Okay. So uh, he also liked to differentiate between kind of the more rationalistic aspect of mitzvot and the more Kabbalistic aspect. So those of you who are curious, here's an article in here about mezuzah and an article about Natilia Yadayim. So I usually like study like which of the details of Natilia Yadayim come from like the strict halacha and which come from more Kabbalistic additions. For example, do you have to wash your hands twice or three times? Right, the three times might come from a more Kabbalistic place about Ruach Ra. So he has an article about that. And he's talking about mezuzah, like, should we conceive of mezuzah in more mystical terms or not? So those of you who are curious, uh, Joey has a copy, right? Joey, you have this copy. And uh, our learning today should uh, be a slot for uh, Rabbi Gordon. Okay, I also would like to uh, comment that it seems like the yeshiva is growing in its uh, good Hawaiian shirts. Okay, Aaron and Jeremy have a particularly impressive table over there. Okay. What? Oh, and, and Joey, it's like the, the entire row. Yeah, Charlie, uh, Elon Brady, what are you doing over there? Okay. okay. <laughs> Pink is an adequate substitute. Okay. So in any case, I think we have a very interesting topic today, which is uh, the limits and the parameters of Kibbutz Aveim. Obviously, Kibbutz Aveim is a very important mitzvah. Okay, it's certainly a fundamental value in Judaism that one should have gratitude to one's parents, you know, for raising and providing for us. But again, like everything else in life, every value has a question of balance and limits. So what are the balance and limits of Kibbutz Aveim? Okay, so many of you know that, I think it's kind of a classic high school masechet, you may have done it. There's certain sugyas in Kiddushin where Kibbutz Aveim comes up. Okay, and let's look at one of those sugyas. Okay, so first of all, there are two mitzvahs in the Torah, of course. One is kabedet avicha v'yitimecha. One is ish imo v'aviv tiro. So there's kavod for parents and yira for parents. So first, the Gemara is going to try to explain what the difference is. So tanabon ezem mora v'ezu kibud. Kibud, mora, what's reverence for parents? Lo omed b'mkomo, lo yoshe b'mkomo, lo soter tevra v'lo machriyo. Right, you might have done this at home with your parents. Right, in theory, you're not supposed to sit in your parents' place in their chair, but of course, they actually can be mochal. So you might be on a scenario where your, your dad or your mom says to you, I'm okay if you sit in my chair at the table. It, it, it works out okay. But in theory, that's the reverence for them, that they have their place and you don't take their chair. Okay, keyboard, what's that? Machil umashke. You bring food and drink. Malbishu machase, you help clothe them. Machnisim utzi, you bring them in and out. Now, obviously, kibbutz is much more active. Right here, Mora seems to be refraining from certain things, not sitting in their chair, and kibbutz seems to be taking care of them. Okay, great. But now that we're asked a really fundamental question, ibailu. This is an important question word, guys. A lot of Gemara words. Somebody's under attack, like meitve and matkifla. Right? Who's under attack when the Gemara says ibailu? Nobody. Ibailu is just. We have a halachic question. Nobody. Not. Not every question means somebody's under attack. So what is the halakha question of Yibailu? Uh, Michel me. Who provides the money? Rabbi Yudam or Michel Ben? Michel Av. Now this is a very interesting machlokas. What is Kibbutz really a demand? So we said to feed him beforehand. Okay, but there could be two aspects to that. What is one possibility? It's not about finances. It's about putting in the effort. 
Meaning, who pays for the nice, you know, deli sandwich? Dad does. But it's your job to, you know, pick it up from, you know, uh, the restaurant and bring it to him. Right? You're not the source of the finances. You're doing the effort. That would be if we sell Michel Av. Or maybe Kiwadevim is even more demanding than that. Maybe it's Michel Ben. And if it's Michel Ben, then you have to do the effort and put in the money as well. So that's a pretty important machlokas. David Bentor. How can you be tired already? I didn't even like, do anything yet that could have possibly have bored you. I'm Okay. Great. Oh, that's it? That's like your vengeance against me? If he doesn't come to my shirt, I'm just going to put my head down. Oh, my God. You're, you're a tough guy, David Bentor. Okay. What? Oh, that's, that's a good move. See if he wakes up. We'll try that. Okay. David Bentor, 20 minutes down the line. I'm going to say sneak in something anti-Zionist. We'll see if you respond. Okay. So let's go here. So what is, is it Michel Avoir or Michel Ben? Okay. Now it's not 100% explicit, but we do seem to have more weight on the Mishalav. A later source, a later rabbinic authority, Paskin Mishalav. Okay, we're good? Okay, now let's go to uh, one of my favorite Tosos of all time. Okay, Tosos tries to create a tremendous halachic paradox. Okay, let's see if the halachic paradox works. Let's go to source three. Okay, now let's assume for the sake of argument... Sorry, that we do pask and we shall have. Okay, so the keeper of aim does demand effort, but not necessarily payment. Okay, but there was a day of Michel Ben. What would happen had we pask and Michel Ben? Let's go to Tosos. Rabbi Yudom and Michel Ben, Midaktik Ri, Lamanda Michel Ben. What if I have a three part conflict? Listen to this three part conflict, you're all going to love this Tosos. In Yuzdam lo keeper of, Vavedet Atzmo, Vavedet Chavero. What are three things clamoring for my intention now? I lost an item that I really would like to reclaim. And my friend lost an item, and I'd like to help him out. And dad is also asking for my attention. Dad is saying, don't go chase those lost items. Bring me some orange juice. Okay, we're good so far? So we have a three-part clash. Who's going to win here in this three-part clash? Let's see what Tosa does here, guys. What's I do with Kibra Aveim? Hello, Avedar Chavero Kodemen. What's the first clash, we assume? Your friend's Aveda should come before Kibrev. Why is that? Okay. Kedamrin Beomatis, Yachal Amlov of Altax, Yachal Yishmelo, Tamar Lomar, Vainut Altaxir, Shomlo Asok Bechvodi, the Altaxir Bechinam, Lois Jerkra. Mashmin Kedavir Chavero Kamel Kibravim. Okay, so this is, there is a little bit of a debatable point here, but let's go through the argument. What did another Gemara say? If your father says to you, don't return the lost item, who wins? The friend. Now, what would you normally assume? That's because your parents can't tell you to avoid the world of mitzvahs. Just like your parents can't tell you Michal Shabbos or eat treif. So if your parent tells you, don't return the object, right, you don't have to listen. But Tos goes a step further. Tosos thinks if the parent was just saying that to be difficult, you wouldn't even need a Gemara. Right? Of course, the parents can't just be difficult and tell you not to return a lost item. So what must be the case if there's going to be a Kiddush? The parent wasn't just saying to be difficult. The parent was saying, I want you to take care of me instead. Now, that's a bigger Kiddush, right? Because there you might have said, maybe keep it of could win. Have you got that? So there is a bit of an assumption in this house was that the Gemara couldn't have been talking about an arbitrary claim, just, leave, just don't do the lost item. That's too obvious. It must be a case where he has a personal... Desire. Nevertheless, Avedar Chavero wins. Again, we got in class one, guys. Avedar Chavero beats. Keep it up.
Okay, let's move on in our tournament here. Okay, the im where am I? Okay, the im yasok b'aver chavero hariaveda tokodeme dichtev efes kliyab chayavyon shalcha kod mechol adam. Now this is also fascinating, guys. Every line here is fascinating. Okay, we, halacha does seem to allow. Who is your first concern in life? Yourself. We, right? Remember that even in the world of life, we have that famous quote, Chayecha kodmen le chayecha So apparently it's true about money also. It's interesting because you might say, oh, religion would say, no, you should never be selfish, you should be self-centered. Apparently you're, you're allowed to say, my first concern is myself. And therefore, if you have a lost item and your friend has a lost item, and you're eager to get it back, you are allowed to preface yours. Okay, good. So what happened in the first clash? Aveda chavero be... Keep it up. What happened in the second clash? Aveda atzmo beat. Ah, now for the third game of the tournament here, guys. The imyasok baveda to. What if I'm dealing with <coughs> my lost item? I keep it up if kodem. Uh oh. What happens in the third clash? Keep it up aim beats my stuff. Why is that? Laman de Amar, Michel Ben. So this great paradox that Toast created only works if I say Michel Ben. Let's just get the argument down, guys. If I say Michel Ben, what am I basically saying? Kibbutz of Aim is enough of religious value. You have to lose money for it. Wait, but if that's true, if Dad wants a drink and I want to get my lost item back, wait, but we just said that you have to lose money for Kibbutz of Aim. So who wins? Kibbutz of Aim? All right, here we go, guys. Now let's play out the tournament. It's one of those terrible tournaments where everybody ends up one and one. You can't figure out what to do in the next round. Okay, here we go. What happened when... What? I'm sorry? Okay. Uh, <laughs> what happens when... Right, we'll make him feel good. It's like the Cholent competition. The real winner was Eitan Guttmacher for making such a delicious vegan Cholent. It's a little known fact that Eitan actually won the Cholent competition. Okay. 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 Right, he's, he, he had two-thirds of the popular votes. Okay, so... Uh, I think three people voted, right? Okay. Okay, okay so here we go, guys. What, let's just go to the class once again. What happens when Kibbutz Avayim took on Avedat Chavero? Who won? Right, just like Gemara said, your father can't tell you don't return the lost item. So Avedat Chavero won. Great. What happened when Avedat Atzmo took on Avedat Chavero? Well, you have a right to prefer your own money, so Avedat Atzmo won. What happened when Avedat Atzmo took on Kibbutz Avayim? Why? Because if we hold Michel Ben, wait, so now what do you do? Right, you have these three things clamoring for your attention, and everybody's got a one-on-one record in the standings. So it's not exactly clear what you do. This is a great process, very interesting paradox. Okay, now, uh, guys, get this down. This will definitely be on the final. According to which dea would the paradox never get off the ground? Okay, Sage. Ah, what would happen if I would say Michel Av? There'd be no evidence that that Kibrovim beats Aveder Atzmo. So according to that, I could say we have a clear winner of the three. Aveder Atzmo is the winner of the three. But if you say Michel Ben, then I have this paradox that everybody's one and one. Yeah? Uh, the lesson of the throne just makes it seem like you're already, like, like, you're already doing a mitzvah, so why would you ever, like, stop doing one mitzvah? Look, I, I think the case is that I'm choosing which of the three to embark on. You're right, if I'm already embarked on one, you might get into issues of Osig mitzvah, Patan mitzvah, and that kind of thing. 
But I think the easiest case is I am now confronted with these three paths, and I'm trying to figure out which has halachic precedence. Okay? All right, so let's see how Tosis adds. Yeah, Michael? Are, are we doing, like, in the case where um, you're going to give up, like, purchase your lost item, then you still have Ah, that's a good question. Uh, well, don't forget, Tosis wants the case to be here where the dad actually won something. Right? Wait, wait, sorry, Because Tosis said, when Tosis was contrasting, let's say, Kibra versus Aveda Chavero, right, Tosis said it would be a no-brainer if Abba's just being spiteful. Right. But if Abba says, I want apple juice, why are you taking care of it? That's the case where the Gemara is still saying Aveda Chavero wins. Right, that was the assumption of Tosis. Again, that's not explicit in the Gemara. That's true. That might be another way out of the paradox, by the way, guys. If one said that the case of Kibadav versus Aveda Chavero was only Davka when the father's doing it out of spite, so then you might still say when the father's doing it for a real reason, Kibadav Aim could win. And then maybe Kibadav Aim would be the winner of the entire competition. Yeah? Is it the case where um, that's what you're doing for uh, a friend and yourself, like out of the communal thing? Would that beat out um, Kibadav Aim? Uh, it's a good question, but it really gets back to Tosa's paradox here. So, like, is there, like, does it give out, like, one clear, like, um, like, ultimate priority? You wonder what Tosa's answer is? Like, yeah, like, what do you say, like, oh, man, I'll Okay, so I, I'm actually going to skip the answer to the paradox for now. Those of you who want could, could look at look through it. We're going we're to come, hopefully, if we have time, we'll come back to it later. Yeah. Um, is Avera Asno, I guess this is what I was talking about in the competition, is Avera Asno really considered Hasset Mammon though? So I can hear a start of that, that like you, you lost it, and so therefore it's not, it's not there's no actual, any actual Hasset in it. Okay, so that's a very interesting question. So to get to Josh's question, let's turn the page for a second. We'll go a little bit out of order. I wasn't going to do it in this order, but once Josh says it, let's ask it. Okay, so let's talk about Kibbutz Aim for a second. So there's something fascinating with Kibbutz Aim, which is who the paragons are of Kibbutz Aim. Okay, it's not exactly the usual model. Like, if I ask you, I don't know, who's the paragon of Chesed in Chazal, you probably would say Avram, right? Avram's the paragon of Chesed. If I ask you who's the paragon of being uh, humble, what might you argue? Osher. If you went to Tamura character, you might argue, who's the source of Nava from the Tanaim? Hillel. Very good. Okay, but what about, it's kind of fascinating, who are the two heroes of Kibbut of Aim in Chazal? So who are the two heroes of Kibbut of Aim? Esav and... A non-Jewish fellow named Dama Ben Natina. Guys, remember the Dama Ben Natina story? Okay, we'll get there in a minute. But first, I, I must do a Tanakh tangent. Is Al Ben in the room? Okay, here we go. Yeah. Guys, I think that when Chazal say Esav was engaged in Kibbutz of Aim, it was not Josh, it was Pshat. I think there are four different examples of Esav engaging in Kibbutz of Aim. But I should be clarified, more Kibbutz of than Kibbutz Aim. He definitely had a healthier relationship with Yitzchak than he had with Rivka. Can anyone tell me four examples of Ace of engaging Kibbut of Aim? I think there are four good examples in Tanakh. Sage? Well, I mean, clearly, like, he, it's like, um, he'll start to serve him meals. Or yeah, he brings Yitzchak food all the time, right? Kitsai Bavim. That's a pretty good aspect of Kibbut of Aim. In fact, it's even the Gemara's example, Josh Milstein. Excellent. When it bury Yitzchak, who buries him? Ace of and Yaakov together. Whose name is mentioned first? Ace of. When Yishmol and Yitzchak bury Avram, whose name is mentioned first? Yitzchak. So that's definitely something to fly when you're in Chumash, guys. Esav is not only involved in the burial of his father, he's the one mentioned first. Okay, we've got two. A.B. Hirsch. Uh, that's my favorite example, actually. Even when he's at his worst, 
He wants to kill his brother. What does he say? Yikravu yimei evil avi. When will I try to kill my brother? Only after Yitzchak passed away. So even when he is his, his like, height of vengeful passion, he is saying, I can't do that while my father's alive. That would be terrible. Okay, one more to go. David Bentor. He married a Jewish woman. Uh, close. I, I agree you're right. I just wouldn't call it a Jewish woman. He realizes that his parents don't like it when they marry the local Canaanite women. So therefore he goes to marry? Very good. The daughter of Yishmael. Okay, excellent. Okay, so you guys are absolutely right. There you have four different examples of Esav engaging Kibbut Aveim. So it's really, it is not Drash, it is Pshat. Esav is a model of Kibbut Aveim. It's one of the beautiful things about, about Tanakh, right? Characters are not black and white. Esav could have a lot of negative traits, and he could still be very positive in one particular way. Okay, now let's go to the Talmudic example. Okay, so look at source four, a very, very famous story. Amir Mishmuel, Shalur Belezer, Ad Heichan Kibbut Aveim. How far does it go? Amalem Tsuru, go see Ma'asa Oveir Kachlim Echad Lavid Ba'ashkelon. So it's very interesting. Apparently, Kirim is this universal principle. Non Jews could start it also. So there was a non Jew in Ashkelon, Vidama Ben Natina Shmo. Big Shumino Chachamim Avanim Leifod. They wanted st- stones for the breastplate, right, for the coin guttle, and these are very difficult to find. Beshishim Rebo Schar. It was going to be 600,000. Rav Kahanamani b'shmon and ribo eight hundred thousand. V'haya mafteach munach tachat mirashotav shalaviv. What's the mafteach? Ah, but the key to the safe was under his dad's pillow. V'lo tziaro, and he just said, "I don't care. I am not waking up, Dad. Okay, Dad enjoys his good afternoon nap. I am not waking up to get the key, even if you guys have to go buy it somewhere else." L'shana acheret natan hakadosh baruch hu scharel. The next year, God gave him his reward. Now, why was that a good reward, guys? Well, just like it's hard to find Avne Ephod, it is not so easy to find Paradumas. And we all know that the law of supply and demand is not going to change over the course of human history. That's just part of basic economics. So he could charge a lot for a Paraduma as well. Now, I've wondered for a long time, and I don't have a good shot. You could all think about it. Tell me later today. Is there any, like, symbolic import that the reward is Dafka manifest in a... Paraduma. That's quite fascinating. Okay, because the word could have been manifest in anything. So you won't think that it's not an accident that the word is manifest in Paraduma. Don't have any answer right now, but think about it. Tell me later. Okay, next. Now comes the even more fascinating part. Nichnesu Chachmei So the sages come in. Amar lehem. It is a very beautiful gemara. Yodine b'chem shemini mevakesh mekem kol mamon shebaolam atem notlimli. What do I know? Ah, this is really a seller's market, not a buyer's market. You guys are desperate for a paraduma because you need it to make people who are tamei meitahar. I could charge you anything. Okay, but, uh, but what am I going to ask you for? That amount of money that you would have spent for the Avnei So I think it's an interesting idea because obviously this reflects a different good character trait. This is about kind of honesty and not being uh, greedy. But maybe it, the part of the argument is how, like, one good moral trait leads to another, right? When you're the person who's so good at keeping it away, maybe this is like a little bit of a spillover effect that impacts how he behaves in a different moral scenario as well. Yeah, because that's over, guys? Okay, great. But now comes a wonderful Tosas Rush, okay? And who here has read Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow? What? No, Rice, and you read the whole thing? Yeah. You are a serious guy. Okay, so you're the only person who's going to appreciate this right now. 
Okay, that's not true, actually. I'll explain it. Everyone will appreciate it. Okay, here we go. Tosus has a killer question. Says Tosus. What's Tosra's question, guys? Killer question. If I say Michel Av, what does Kibbutz Avim demand? Activity, action, effort. What does it not demand? Financial loss. Right? The whole position of Michel Av is that. Dad pays for it. I don't have to pay for it. I just have to put in the effort. But what happened to this fellow Dominatino over here? He sacrificed a tremendous amount of money for the sake of keep it up. That makes sense if we passed Michel Ben. But if we passed Michel Av, it wasn't even a case where he was high at all. He could have woken up dad to get the key. Yeah, Elon. Ah, oh, exactly. We'll get there in a minute. Okay, very good, Elon Birdie. And you even get like a fist bump from your Hawaiian shirt friend. Okay, excellent. So let's go to, okay, let's go to Tosos. But I want to save Elon's question for a second. Okay, so let's do Elon's answer. So we go a little bit out of order if you guys don't mind. We'll do the second answer first. Okay, the second answer begins with Odie Shlomer. What's Tosos' second answer? Odie Shlomer, didn't he de eno chayv lechabdo mishalo, mikomakom asr litzaro, What's the difference between the two cases according to this? Not Elon's point, a different point? There's one question is, how do I do the kavod? But it's a totally different question. Am I actually actively bothering you? I'm actually hurting you. You can easily make a distinction, right? One question, okay, I don't have to pay for a drink when I'm bringing my dad orange juice. That would pay for it. But that doesn't mean that I could do something that bothers my dad, that pains him, right, for the sake of saving money. So that could be the distinction. Am I actually causing active tsar to dad or not? Uh, okay, let's do, we'll do the experiment now. But maybe that's only true in the land of Israel. <laughs> All right, didn't work. Okay. Okay. So, uh, okay. Everyone got the answer? Okay, so we've got, we've got the second answer that this case is more harsh. He's actually would be troubling his dad by waking him up in the middle of the nap. And therefore, or maybe I should also throw in a line about uh, the suit lady. We'll see if that works. Okay, so uh, in any case, okay, so in any case, the, uh, that was one answer. But let's go to the first answer. The first answer really gets at a basic psychological truth. And Elon Brady said this. V'yesh lomar, deshani hacha, delo hifsid bishvil aviv. He didn't lose money for dad. Elishemashach yado, he pulled back his hand. Me'oto revach shalom. Great word to know, guys. What's revach? Profit. profit. What's the claim? There's a difference between relinquishing profit and losing money. So when did we say Michel? When did we say Michel Av? We say Michel Av when it comes to losing money. You don't have to lose money for keep it away. But I could still say that I do have to relinquish profit. Right? I don't have to lose money for Kibbutzim, but I do have to relinquish profit, and therefore there's no contradiction between Dumbenetina and Paskening Michel Michel Av. Everyone good so far? Okay, but here's where Kahneman comes in. This is very fascinating. Uh, uh, someone who could say that from a perspective of economic rationality, okay, this makes no sense whatsoever. Right? Because you're trying to figure out your budget for a lifetime, so if you lose a $500 profit, that's going to have the same impact on your bank account as having to pay 
Right, you guys all made this point? Right, let's say next week, I, I can either take path A, we'll have to pay $500, I'll take path B, which will make me lose a $500 gain. So wouldn't it be true that my bank account's gonna be the same at the end of the week, whichever path I take? So you could say from pure economic rationality, there should be no difference whatsoever. Okay, but Kahneman points out in his uh, experiments, in his social psychology experiments, that people are what's called risk averse. Okay, they really dislike the idea of losing money, of having to pay. And therefore, when they're valuing the odds of something, they will take that much more seriously than having to relinquish a possible gain. You guys ever understand this point? So it could be that it's very interesting, halacha, because what's halacha saying here? Even if economically it's the same, psychologically it is not the same. And maybe this Tosus understands that people are risk averse and they will view it as a greater hardship to lose money than to relinquish a profit. And therefore, that's how halacha plays out. That in keeping of aim, you do have to relinquish profit. You don't have to lose money. Okay, now just to make things even cooler, guys, we live in a great world. We live in a world where you could send emails to famous people because it's not so difficult to get their email online, especially if they teach in university. You just go to the faculty list. So when I learned this Tosos, and when I read a Gemara Baba Kama, which I thought had the same principle, we'll get to it later this parak. So I wrote to Kahneman to say, I have two Talmudic examples to bolster your point about, about uh, risk aversion. And he affirmed both of them. He said, Rabbi, you are correct. Okay, there you go, guys. So this is the only time in Shirkla I could say a Nobel Prize winner affirmed what I just said in Shirkla. Okay, that is, a pretty, that is a pretty good deal, guys. I'll bring in the email to show you guys. I forgot to bring it today, but I'll bring in the email. Okay, so that, that's, that's cool. So next time you go, this, okay, David Bentor, next time you have a Svara and it fits with some Nobel Prize winner's theory, send him in, okay? Okay, even if he's like Irish Catholic, just say it's a principle and like Suva stuff, Lama Kimmel. Okay, and you'll see what happens. Okay, here we go. Okay, so that is in terms of, okay, Kahneman is Jewish, yes. Okay, by the way, his, just, I should just give credit. Okay, I think Kahneman would want me to do this also. So Kahneman had a partner for many years named Amos Tversky, okay, who was also Jewish. We, we Jews are good at this stuff. Okay, so uh, the two of them are really like the fathers of this whole science of social psychology. Unfortunately for Tversky, okay, I, if I recall correctly, Tversky died before they, they were able to get the Nobel Prize. And the rules of the Nobel Prize, for whatever reason, is they don't give it to the deceased. They only give it to people who are alive. So Tversky did a lot of the work, was not able to get it, but then after Tversky died, then Kahneman wrote this book, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, and, and Kahneman won the Nobel Prize. Okay, but he definitely, he would give Tversky a ton of credit. Okay, I'll just tell you a funny Tversky story, then we're gonna move on. Okay, so the same guy, this is a long tangent, but it's a good one. Okay, the same guy who wrote Moneyball, Michael Lewis, he also wrote a book about Kahneman and Tversky, whose name is escaping me. Yeah, I don't remember what it's project. called. The Undoing Project. Oh, very good. Oh, keep it going, another educated man. The Undoing Project. Okay, so when Tversky was in the Israeli army, he was a paratrooper. Okay? And that means he would go on planes and jump out of them. Okay. Now, think about, we're in the 1950s. In the 1950s, people don't travel by plane that frequently. Okay, so the first time Tversky's on a commercial flight... He's sitting with the guy next to him, and the guy's talking about, oh, we're flying on a plane, it's very exciting. And Tversky says, yeah, I've done it before, but I've never landed before, I'm kind of curious about that. <laughs> so, so that's a good story. Okay, so, because uh, let's see what we have uh, over here in uh, two more sources. Okay, so we got the Tosos Paradox down, 
we got the Tosa Rush to answers about the Dama Benetina problem, including the idea that maybe Halakha recognizes the psychology of risk aversion. Okay, let's go to the Aruch HaShulch. Uh, sorry, not the Aruch HaShulch. Let's go back to the second Tosos, and then we'll see the Marik, which is really an amazing source. Okay, back to source three, please. Let's see Tosos. It says Tosos, Oli Rabban Kravyumer Kamada Mishal Av, Mash Meshakach Halacha. So we seem to pass in Mishal Av. V'kaf Pasak B'Shiltu D'Ravachai Parshu B'Yishma. Upasak, but it's an important caveat, guys. Heicha Dilet Le'la'av, It Le'la'ben, Chai V'Ben Le'zunaviv. I think it's just basic logic, but we would all understand and relate to it. What's the claim, guys? You don't have to put out the money, right? You have to take care of your mom and dad. They have to put out the money. But what's one obvious different, difficult scenario? What if you're wealthy and they're not? They don't have means and you do. So surely then Allah would tell you that you should lay out the money. Okay, guys? So even though it's true, we do paskin Michel Av. We do paskin. It's the parents' funds that fund the care of Kibbut Aveim. Okay, you should all realize that there are individual scenarios where Halacha would expect you to write the check. Noah. Uh, so the, uh, the first part of the post book, mm-hmm. talking about you specifically losing an item, but before you give up on that item, it's still yours. So by choosing the parent over that item, you're relinquishing something that's yours. You're not really making it. Uh, so you, very good. You see, that's almost a response to Josh Milstein's point before. Yeah. Right? Is that what you're doing? I don't remember what he said. Okay, yeah. but, uh, no, wait. Josh Anatosos wanted to bring in this distinction between are you really losing money or not? Uh, right? Josh, so, yeah. so it's interesting because if we say that Allah really, it's very interesting. Allah has this distinction between loss of pro- relinquishing profit and loss. So, uh, Jasmine, that's a great question. Okay? Even I've given this year before, no one ever phrased it before. Which way should we place Aveda? Which category should Aveda be in? Right? So, you were assuming Aveda should be in the category of relinquishing profit. And Noah Rison's arguing, no, Aveda should be in the prophecy in the category of, of loss. Right? He's got a point. What do you think? Anyone have any thoughts on that? That's an interesting question. Get into love this question. Like, I've already lost the item, but I'd like to look for it. So is that relinquishing profit or is that is that more like active loss? Yeah, maybe? Depends on whether you give a pub on it or not. Okay, interesting. I was waiting, waiting, waiting for something to bring in Yesh. Yeah. Okay, look, so you're right. The issue of bitul malacha does come up in the Gemara. Okay, I mean, how do we factor in loss of time involved? But you could also ask that a cumulative aim, right? Because if I'm taking care of that, arguably I'm not in the office. So you're, I'm, I'm going to duck it for now, but you realize the Gemara condition does bring up where does bitul malacha factor in? Okay, okay, fair enough. So, Simcoe, what do you think? I don't know the whole lot in this case, but I feel like a good way to figure it out might be like if someone else's damages your lost item, would they owe you? Okay, good, good. So, let's make one point here, guys, and then we're going to move on to the Marik. I'm really happy because uh, most of this year I didn't have anything new, but this is something new I had not thought of before. Okay, I, there are two ways to analyze this, like more halachic lumdishly or more psychologically. Okay, lumdishly is more the way like Simcha and Abi are thinking about it. What is the status of that lost item now? To what degree do you still have balut? Right? That would be the lumdish way to do it, right? What balut do you have over your lost item? And then we can figure out, is it lack of profit or actual loss? But the only thing I'm wondering about, 
if Tosos is like Kahaneman, namely the difference is really rooted ultimately in psychology, so maybe the question is not, do you have Balut anymore? The question is simply, how would the average human being think about, by the way, at this point, it might be a more of a psychological question. How do you think about lost items? Would you think about it as relinquishing profit, or would you relate to it more as, as uh, preventing loss? So I'm just pointing out, guys, I'm not saying I'm sure about this, but if this is a good question, we could either do it on purely legal lumdish lines, or we could try to analyze it on psychological lines. Yeah, Al? Yes, you know, but Yeyush is a psychology, but it's a psychology that has tremendous impact on, on the Balut. Okay, very clever, Elon. Uh, what about the aspect of, like, when you lose something, um, if it's in a public place, it can like, someone might steal it, then it's like, time sensitive. But if you, you can always just, like, you know, do it over to your parent, and then go back and look for that. Wait, okay, so Elon, just to clarify, you're getting back to the Tosis paradox, right? You're not addressing our current question, right? It, it sounds like you're getting back to you think you have a way to navigate the Tosis paradox. No, whether you view it as a loss or a profit, and then the day, I think you're relinquishing a profit. Like in that time, there's no loss, like unless if you like, need it in a moment, right? Assuming it's something that you need long term, there's no loss. Okay, fair enough. So let's say that the Josh Milstein question will come more with a time sensitive item. That's fair. Yeah. Okay, that's a good question. I knew someone was going to ask me that. Now, you could say, Dan Belch is right. You could say, sorry, Dan, I'm sorry to cut you off. You could say, keep it in, should be what the parent wants. What if Dumbin knows that his dad would say, of course, wake me up if you can make $600,000. Right? So then maybe keep it in would be to wake him up. That's an excellent question, Dan, but I'm going to leave it be for now. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So AB would like to argue that the, the distinction need not be based, I was arguing it has to be psychological, it was like it doesn't have to be psychological. Okay, that's an interesting debate. Josh? Um, I, I would say that, that, that whether you analyze it more like Lumdashi halakhic level or a psychological level, I think either way you would say that it's more of that, that it's more of a uh, something that, that you lose and don't have balance over and then you get. So I feel like uh, on the day, on the day of the delivery, where Yeish actually has an effect on that, the time that you spend having to, being, being, uh, like, you keep it up, the time where, where Yeish would apply would have to kick in. Like, in that limited time frame in which you are being, being, like, giving couple to your up, in which case it would change it from... No, well, why couldn't Yeish have been before that? Because, because that being, being, because that being, being uh, because that having to keep it up has no, has no effect on it. Right, you're already lost it, and so whether or not I, I look for it now and I find it, or I look for it in, in 30 minutes and I find it, I have the same value delivery. So it has to be that, that me actually being, me cooling my hub would change my value Okay, interesting. And then also psychologically, I feel like it's more of a, like, I lost it, and then, like, like me finding it, it's not like me paying the tax code. Okay, very interesting. All right, guys, I just want to sneak into my rick, and we'll wrap up this year. Okay, just, I want you to know what this is. It's an important set of chuvut, or of Yosef Cologne. He lived in Italy in the 1400s. He has three very famous chuvut. I'll just mention two of them. He is one of the most important shuvas on Chukot Akum. There's an Isra Deraita to walk in, the stat, follow the statutes of the non-Jews. Now, obviously, that could be taken to a ridiculous extreme. Like, you could say, you cannot wear, you know, socks, because non-Jews wear socks. So, clearly, we don't say that. So, what 
is it about? So he gives categories where it applies. Maybe it's things that are rooted in the Vodazara, maybe things that are rooted in morality. He tries to explain what the categories are. Uh, it's very interesting what the case was, actually. It has to do with doctor's robes, that doctors in Italy wore a certain kind of robe. Somebody asked him, I'm a Jewish doctor. If I wear that robe, is it a violation of the Chukotem Lotelechu? And the Marik famously said it's not. So if you're ever curious about Chukot Akam, the most important tshuva in Jewish history, is this tshuva of the Marik. But he also has a tshuva about, I, some of you know this from me from uh, issues in Jewish thought. He also has a tshuva about of Aim and marriage choice. Let's look at this tshuva. This is great. The child would like to marry a certain woman, and your mom and dad say no, or here in case your dad says no. He's to be very practical for all of you guys. Now, there's a line here that's going to be very misleading. I have to explain this line. If she is a appropriate woman, then the father does not have the power to protest. Now, he's going to give three arguments, guys, why Kibbutzim does not apply to marriage choice. But before we get there, the first time I read this tshuva, I thought that line ruins the whole thing. Right? Because what's the father going to claim every time? She's not okay alone. So doesn't that undermine the entire tshuva? So that's why you have to learn shas. So at one point, I was learning the fourth prayer of Kedushin, and I came to the phrase, Isha Hogenetlo. And it means a woman who is halachically permissible. That's what it means. It doesn't mean it's an evaluation. Is she the right kind of girl? Right? No. If she's halachically permissible, then the father has no right to protest. So he really is affirming the ability of the child to make the marriage choice. Okay, I see that the, uh, making fun of a lot of people today. Okay, having a Hawaiian shirt doesn't mean you have staying power. Okay, there we go. Joey Gedalia, I now have re redetermined you have the best Hawaiian shirt in the room. Okay, I would pick David Bentor, but he wouldn't appreciate it. Okay, okay, so here we go, guys. So let us go to his three arguments. What are his three arguments for why it does not apply? So look what he says. The first argument is, What emerges from Kiddushin? You don't have to lose money. You don't have to pay money for Kibbutzim. What's his claim? Guess what? If you don't have to pay money, you certainly don't have to give up the love of your life. See, guys, it's a good kavachomer because a good marriage choice is much more important than cash. Right? That's why it's a kavachomer. You don't have to give up money in life. You certainly do not have to give up the woman of your dreams. Okay, so that is his first argument. Maybe I'll do the second two arguments. Yeah, Al. But you don't have the weight yet. Okay, but she apparently is willing to marry you. Oh, you want to get back to the condom distinction? Uh, you know what? I, I will add a new, I, I have a new, new addition to the, the VART. Right? Relinquishing the woman of your dreams is not treated the same as loss of profit. Okay? That's like a loss. That's a good part, right? When it comes to money, there's a difference between relinquishing opportunity and concretely having to pay. When it comes to the woman of your dreams, there's no such distinction. Okay, yeah, Jake Stevenman. Oh, yeah, okay, Noah? Um, I think what Al was trying to say was like, it's, it's not like money, which is a concrete thing. Like, who knows if the marriage is going to work out or not? Maybe your dad is better, you're just lost. I said, why can't you say, who knows if you're going to keep the money? Maybe you'll have, you know, some financial disaster. Maybe maybe thieves will steal your cash. Money is much more easily quantifiable than, than uh, a healthy marriage, or like or like much easily much more easily predictable. Uh, look, it's true that humanity is more complex than cash, but uh, thank God. 
But uh, I'm not sure I agree with the assertion, though. No. Not sure I agree with the assertion. Okay, let's be sticking the second argument. I'll do a review. Okay, his second argument is really fascinating. He says, "We know that your parents can't commit you, can't command you to violate the halacha. Right? They can't eat trade for being mechal Shabbos." Now he makes a little bit of a jump. He says, "Chazal very much wanted a husband and wife to love each other. In fact, what some of the things they did, for example, they said you're not allowed to get married unless they met first. Because what are we afraid of? If they haven't met first, maybe the marriage will somehow." Not work out. It'll violate Vahaptha So what is he so now the Mark makes a really interesting jump. If Chazal were so concerned that the husband and wife should actually love each other, so if your father's forcing you not to marry who you want, he is violating a religious value. And therefore that is like him telling you to be Mikhalel Shabbat. So that is his second argument. Just because we're running out of time, I'm not the third argument basically just is that this is not the category Kibra of applied. It's not his world. Like, Kibbutz of A means, in your father and mother's orbit, do the things that they need. But that doesn't mean that they could ex- basically go into your orbit. Like, who you're marrying is your thing. It's not their thing. Okay? Dan Belged, and then I'll ask to the review. Um, what if, um, so, if you want your parents command you to, like, violate the halacha, for sure, not allowed to, but what if it's to violate menhag? Or- uh, that's a good question. Good question. Not for us right now. Okay. Here we go, guys. Ah, uh, David Bentor. Okay, so notice, ah, uh, David made an excellent point. Uh, I'd like to emphasize this point, guys. We sometimes think that Judaism has a very minimal sense of non-Jewish religiosity. It's only Noahide laws. But that's, there's a lot of reasons why that's not true. In fact, oh, you know what I'm going to do, guys? I don't think you guys need a review, right? It's pretty straightforward. So I'm going to do a different tangent instead of the review, okay? Okay, the Rav Lichtenstein, Rav Lichtenstein, the Rashiv of famous Rishiv Gush, had a cousin named Aaron Lichtenstein. I always felt very bad for this guy because he definitely went through life as the other Aaron Lichtenstein. Although I did once share a Shabbos lunch with him and he seemed perfectly happy, so I guess it did not, I guess it wasn't traumatic. Okay, so he has a book called The Seven Laws of Noah. And he makes one argument there, I'm going to add another argument. One of the arguments he makes, it's not true that we have 613, they have seven. Because a lot of their seven are categories that include many mitzvot. Like, let's say one of their seven is arayot. But if you think about it, sexual morality in the Torah includes a lot of things, right? Don't engage in bestiality and don't sleep with your sister. So all those mitzvot would be included in arayot. So if the seven are categories already, it's not 613 to seven. I don't remember how he counts, but it ends up being like 613 to like 100 something. Okay, so that's the first thing to realize. Secondly... Just because they're not chayv in something doesn't mean it's not a great value for them. Okay, there's gemaras that, for example, you might notice staka does not appear among the seven. But I could quote you gemaras to make it clear that non-Jews are rewarded for giving staka. Here's another example. Whether or not kibud of aim is on the list, what does kiddushin seem to indicate very clearly? We greatly value non-Jews who engage in kibud of aim. So I think it's important to realize it could be that the halakhic conception of non-Jewish religious life is much more robust than it might seem at first. It's really not correct to view it as it's only seven of the 613. Yeah? Do we also have to say, like, if we'll do so they're not meant to, it's not an idea of what we're doing, it's not meant to? Why do we use the non-Jew as an example of the event that it's not meant Because even if it's not the same level, can you still argue that what he did was an exemplary model? Like, why can't that be true? I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody's mom in this room is the world's expert on tekiyat shofar. So why can't we still point her whether or not she's chayv in tekiyat shofar? 
She's the world's expert, right? So Dumpa Minatina was the expert on fulfilling Kibbutz Avay. Okay, guys, so uh, just to, I'm not to review, but just to review four categories we did today. We did the Michel Av, Michel Ben question with a psak, seemingly Michel Av. We did the Tosar three-part paradox. We did the Tosar Rush about the Dumpa Minatina problem and the Kahaneman shot in Tosar Rush. And we did the Mariks, various arguments why... Keep it a name does not mean your dad could stop your marriage choice. All right, everybody have a great Shabbos. Amen.